Good morning. So glad when uh, Jeff read from Acts 2. That just always encourages me to to see the continuity. Here we are 2,000 years later, and we're just walking this same path that the ancient church walked so long ago. And it looks a little bit different today, maybe a whole lot different today than it did uh, in the first century. But isn't it encouraging to gather as a community of faith, to sing praises to God, to celebrate baptism and the Lord's Supper, be reminded of what is absolutely true and essential to life in relationship with Him, and then to go to His Word and ask Him to speak. Man, that's, that's encouraging to me. I hope that's encouraging to you. Uh, outlines are available on the rows uh, in front or behind you, so I want to encourage you to grab that. And uh, we're going to jump into the conclusion to our series we've called Regifting. And we're thinking about this idea of giving away what was given to us. And the idea is that God is the great giver. And He has given us great things, each of us individually, us as a church, and we want to carefully think about how we might give that away to each other and to a lost world around us. So we're going to get into our fourth week here. Um, Specifically in this year of ministry, we're thinking about connecting inward with our gifting. And we've been talking about this idea that God does give gifts to his people. And we all are in a process of discovery, finding out what that is or what those gifts might be and then how we might use them in the lives of others and in the life of the church. We are convinced that as we connect inward with our gifting, we discover the unique part God has called us to play in life. And every single person in this room, if you are in relationship with God, you have a unique part to play. And if all of us are playing our part, that's uh, an amazing thing for the church. Here's a question that we are going to be asking and answering, certainly very specifically for the next year. We're going to come back to this question again and again and again. And we're going to ask you to give this serious consideration. But beyond that, this is one of those questions that you just ask as a way of life. 20, 30, 40, 50 years later, you're still asking this question. How am I building maturity by serving my church in the power of the Holy Spirit according to my unique design. And certainly, you may ask and answer that question today and and then ask it again 20 years later, and the the answer may be a little bit different. You're going to be in a different season of life. Hopefully, you're going to have a different level of maturity. You're going to bring different things to the church at that point than you're able to today, and that's totally okay, right? That's just life in the church. We never want to stop asking that question. Now, with that as kind of an overarching, like an umbrella for everything, we've been asking four questions in this series. And I'm going to do a brief review here. And you know what? I know Jeff did a brief review last week. And there could be a temptation for all of us to check out and go, oh, I, yeah, I heard that. I, yeah, you guys keep saying that over and over and over again. And here's the deal. We have got to get this, like internalize it, so that 
we don't have to be reminded over and over again by somebody else, but we're walking in it. We know it to be true, and we embrace it as a way of life. So I'm going to run quickly through these questions again and uh, just establish this foundation that we have had before we ask the final question we're asking today. So the first one was, what are spiritual gifts? Great question. They're in the Bible. Several different key passages that we have been introducing you to. We defined spiritual gifts as abilities freely given and enabled by the Spirit of God for the purpose of cultivating connected followers of Christ. Our mission, the Great Commission, that's why we have those gifts. In the lists, remember we gave, us, we gave everybody three general um, categories or expressions. We said that there were prophetic priestly and kingly gifts and so this prophetic would be around the area of communication speaking kinds of gifts primarily priestly gifts that was around care compassion those gifts lend themselves to that kind of expression and then kingly is providing direction leadership it's helping the church know where to go at any given time in its history so we had those three big categories, and we did talk about this idea of careful continuationism. Remember that? And it's that idea that all of the gifts that we find in the scriptures, we believe that God certainly gave all of those, and he is certainly capable of continuing to give those gifts to his people for his purposes. Now, it may look different today than it did 2,000 years ago. Remember we talked about um, there are no longer apostles walking the earth. They did their job. We have a closed canon. We have a Bible that is complete. And some of the gifts did serve as a sign, a miraculous sign of the authenticity of apostles and Scripture, what was true. So, since that's changed, since apostles have died and we have a closed scripture, then some of those sign gifts may serve a different purpose today. What we don't want to do is to say, well, since they served their purpose back then, it's all done. God doesn't do anything miraculous anymore. What we want to do is say, God can do whatever he wants to do, right? And we would welcome him to work in our midst in any way that he sees fit. Certainly none of us want to try and limit God in some way, put him in a box and ask him to stay in that place that makes us comfortable. So careful continuation. Second question, why do we have spiritual gifts? They weren't just given for our entertainment. They come to us with purpose. And we listed four of them. Certainly, these aren't the only purposes that we could find for gifts, but, but it's a good summary. First of all, it is to display the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Gifts are always associated with the power of God. And when they're exercised, it's meant not to draw attention to the person exercising their gift, but the, to the one who gave it to them. So, to display the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, to meet the needs of our community of faith. God meets our needs through us exercising our gifts. That's a purpose. Thirdly, to build up the body of Christ. We're going to talk a lot about that today. To build up, to construct 
the body of Christ so that it can be everything that God intended. And lastly, and most importantly, we are given gifts to glorify God. God gives us gifts so that we can magnify him in everyday life. So those are our purposes, and I came across a a great quote that certainly helps us think rightly about this idea of gifts, because we've talked about the abuse of gifts, people using gifts for their own purposes, for their own promotion, to draw attention to themselves. Bob Utley says this, spiritual gifts are servant towels, not merit badges. So, so good. Yeah, if if you're thinking about, I wonder how God's gifted me and how I might use that, you ought to be thinking, I wonder how God wants to use me, as the scriptures say, for the common good. Somebody else's good, not my own. I mean, I'm going to be blessed as you use your gifts. That's going to bless me. That's going to help me grow. That's going to spur me on to love and good works. And as I'm using my gifts... Hopefully that will do the same for you. So that's why we have spiritual gifts. Now, how do we use them? Jeff did such a great job taking us through an approach. If if we've decided, Lord, I, I want to know the gifts you've given me, and I want to use them in a way that honors you, how do I do that? Here were the things that Jeff shared with us last week. First of all, with a posture of humility. A posture of humility, not of pride. We're not patting ourselves on the back. We didn't didn't come up with that. God gave it to us. Our goal is unity. Once again, that's something we're going to look at closely today. Our gifts ought to promote unity, not division. And oftentimes they do promote division when used poorly. Our expression is love. That is, that, that dictates, determines, defines how we go about exercising our gifts in the church our need as we're thinking about gifting is maturity we all need to grow up and our gifts help us do that and then lastly our response so important our response we've got these gifts they're all different some have more some have less it it, like it's all unique there all God wants us to do is to be faithful with what we have Just say yes. (laughs) When he points us to a need, an opportunity to exercise our gift, the answer is yes, say it. Yeah, yes, Lord. Whatever you ask me to do, whatever you assign me to do, my answer is yes. And I'm going to assume, we say this all the time, God will always give us what we need to do what he's called us to do. That includes spiritual gifts. He gives us our gifts so that we can serve faithfully. So with all of that, here's the question for today, and here's how we're going to wrap up this series. What should we expect to see from our spiritual gifts? Now, I'm sure you have all kinds of ideas that come to mind. Like if you and I are faithfully exercising our gifts, what should we see? What kind of evidence would, would come into view to tell us we actually have been using our gifts. What would that look like? There's a great passage, and Jeff touched on this a little bit last week. We're going to look at it again today, but it's in Ephesians 4. 
And uh, Paul is basically helping the early church. Remember, the first three chapters of Ephesians are about what God has done in us. And then the, the last three chapters really talk more about what God wants to do through us as a community of faith. So when we get to uh, chapter 4, starting in verse 7, this idea of gifts is introduced by Paul. So I'm going to read this passage, and then we're going to use it to make our way through answering this question. So in verse 7, Paul writes, Grace was given to each one of us, so that means all of us who have trusted in Christ, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now jump down to verse 11. And he, that is Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So what should we expect to see based upon what Paul has written if we are all exercising our gifts properly? I'm going to give you a summary statement and then we're going to break it down. So here's the big overarching statement to answer that question from Ephesians 4. The body of Christ building itself up in love. If somebody were just to stumble onto Fellowship Bible Church and just show up, and we're all exercising our gifts properly, what they should see is us as a community of faith building up this church the body of Christ in a context of love. Isn't it interesting that Jesus said, how will the world know that you guys are my people? How you love each other. How do you love each other? Well, you use your gifts to serve each other. And as you're doing that, the church is built up. Now, specifically, let's, let's start to break this down. In this context of Ephesians 4, Paul uses two metaphors. He uses the human body, and he uses construction. And he kind of puts those two together, which is sort of interesting. But he puts those two together to paint a picture of what it looks like when a church is thriving. So, first of all, Paul wants us to have in mind this wildly complex but perfectly integrated body. Think about your body. Think about all the parts and pieces. Think about the systems and the segments, the organs, all of those things working in perfect concert. And all of that, what do we call that? Life. 
It's a lie. And it's mysterious and it's wonderful. But, but it, somehow our bodies, it, it's just, it blows my mind all of the minute details of our existence. All of that working together. And Paul wants us to think about that picture when we think about the body of Christ functioning together. It, it ought to be just as spectacular for us to think about a community of faith full of broken yet hopeful people who have entrusted their lives to Christ and are using their gifts. That's the first picture that Paul gives us. He wants us to think about the, the human body. Then secondly, he mentions this idea of construction or assembly or formation. And uh, it, it's fortunate right now we get a lot of just practical evidence of that around us. We're seeing our facility expansion taking place. And here's the reality of that. Do you guys think, do you guys think that just that the crew just kind of showed up and they just sort of sat back and looked at the building and they thought, you know what, let's put a wall up right over there. And you know what, let's put a few pipes in the ground right over there. And yeah, I mean, we probably need a roof. So let's throw a roof on this thing. Do, do you think that's what happened? No, there's incredible intentionality, incredible design, incredible effort, right? The, there, there's been a long process building up to producing what we're seeing, a building up of a facility. Paul wants us to have that imagery as we think about building up the church, the community of faith. It is a community under construction. And we will always be. But that's the idea. God wants his church to continually be under construction until he returns and finishes everything. Love, of course, using that phrase, the body of Christ building itself up in love. Love is the lifeblood of Christian community. Just think about the, the essential nature of blood in our bodies. Love serves that same purpose in the body of Christ. It, it, it's a have to, not just a, a want to. So this whole picture is a picture of vitality. And it envisions a healthy, vibrant human being. That's the picture that we want to have. And the development of that. Think about a person growing in fitness and health and stamina energy, all of those kinds of things. There are quantitative and qualitative expressions of growth in a human being. And in the same way, we probably ought to see qualitative and quantitative expressions of growth in a church. We've never cared about just having a whole bunch of people packed into a building every Sunday. That's just never been an intention. And I don't think it's the intention of God for the church. Certainly, we want to influence as many people as we can. But we know that just because a person's in a church doesn't mean they're a part of the body. That's a spiritual reality. That's something that only God can do. So here we are, a human body under construction and moving forward in that, hopefully, obediently. 
Now let's get more specific as we look at this passage. Let's incorporate what this says and some of the other passages that we've looked at in terms of using our gifts. Two big ideas, verse 7 and verse 11. We're told that God gives gifts to his people and then God gives gifted people to his church. Say that again. God gives gifts to his people and God gives gifted people to his church. That's going to tie into what we expect to see. Now, God gives gifts to his people so that they can participate as builders in his redemptive plan. You have a gift so you can get in the game. You don't have to sit back and watch the professionals. You don't have to be a spectator. You can actually play an instrumental part in the work of God. God gives gifts and he distributes them to the people of God so that they can play an integral part in what he wants to accomplish. Now, think about that negatively. If God gave all of us gifts and God brought all of us together as a part of this body, and I I do assume there is the larger body of Christ, the universal church, that's everybody in the world, but there are these local expressions. We are a local expression of the body of Christ. I am going to assume if this is Christ's church, that he brought all of us together, even though the way we process it is, well, I decided to visit Fellowship Bible Church, and I was there for a while, and I kind of liked it, and I fit in and connected, and so I decided this is going to be my home church, and I started to serve and do all this other kind of stuff. Well, all the while, we have to recognize if what we're talking about today is true, God brought you here, and he gave you a gift that this church needed, and that this church will out on if it doesn't have you using your gift. So there's a, there's a positive side of we all bring a gift to this deal and, and what a blessing it is when we're all using it, but there is a loss when we don't, when we fail to use the gifts God has given us. God's gifts come with responsibility, not privilege. There's an assignment attached. These are tools, not toys. Remember, we're building. So we're not just entertaining ourselves. We're actually going about the work of God in his church for the common good. So God gives gifts to his people. Then God gives gifted people to his church. Why does he do that? To accomplish, the theological word is sanctification, spiritual formation. So, God helps all of us grow spiritually by using the spiritual gifts that each of us have as we exercise them in the church. That's the connection there. Now, let me give you a definition for sanctification. This is the ongoing supernatural work of God to rescue justified sinners from the disease of sin And to conform them, think of this imagery of the potter, to conform them to the image of his son, holy, Christ-like, and empowered to do good works. That kind of sounds like what Paul's saying in Ephesians 4, doesn't it? Conforming us to the image of his son, holy, Christ-like, 
and empowered to do good works. That's sanctification. That is spiritual formation. That is spiritual growth toward Christ-like maturity. That's why God gives us gifts. And it happens as we serve each other. Now, it's interesting. More often than not, God can use anything to bring about change in your life and mine, right? But more often than not, God uses people coupled with the Word and the Spirit to change people. You know, if I think about my life and the the people that have most influenced me, when I've changed the most, it's been in the context of experiences and relationships. So I can typically put a name with some time, some experience, some event going on. That, that's by design. God uses people to change people. Now, just as an aside, understand, it's not people's fault if you don't grow. Okay? God does intend to use people in your life to help you grow, but like a personal devotional life, being in the Word, spending time in prayer, using your gifts, all of those things, that's your choice. Nobody's making you do that, and nobody's keeping you from doing that. And those things will help you grow. But here's the beauty of being in the body of Christ. You're surrounded by other people who are hopefully doing the very same thing. And as you guys are all doing that together, as we are all walking that out together, God does a beautiful, beautiful work that is as mysterious as the human body and as glorious as the construction of the greatest building ever built. So spiritual growth is the result of spirit-led partnership among God's gospel-grounded people. That's sort of a summary statement for our understanding of God giving gifts and gifted people to his church. Now, with spirit-led partnership in mind, when each part is working properly, and that is a huge statement in this passage, Right there in verse 16, toward the very end, he says, when each part is working properly. What's he referring to there? The use of gifts. People serving. As everyone is using their gifts properly. Here's what we should see. Three things. Redemptive influence, collaborative diversity, and Christ-likeness. Now, let me break each of those down individually. First of all, the first thing that we would sh- should see when each part is working properly, redemptive influence. And I take that from that phrase, the work of ministry. So remember, God gave gifted leaders to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, we typically read that phrase and we think about activity, like this guy's doing that and that gal's doing that and Everybody's active. But part of what I think we should expect to see is the results of that, right? If ministry is actually happening, then we should see the result. And I, I got five R's here, so hopefully that will help us remember these. But just imagine, I bet you can speak to each of these in your own life. We should see renewal. 
Like people's lives being renewed when they get discouraged, when they're struggling, when life is hard. And, but when the body is doing its thing, there is renewal. There's restoration. You know, there's some who well, probably all at some point where we just, we get off track. We, we leave the path. We end up in a ditch. The wheels come off. Like we can, we've got all kinds of idioms to describe that. There is often a need for restoration, for God to put back together what has been broken. Uh, another R word that ties into that is recovery. We all are recovering from the effects of sin in our life whether it's a lot or a little, whether it's internal or external. We're all recovering. And when people are using, when God's people are using their gifts in the church, we will see recovery taking place. Not just a hope of recovery, we'll actually see it happening. People transforming. Reinforcement. There is just something, and I, I've loved hearing this over the years, but um, one of the best parts of this community of faith is how you guys care for each other. And oftentimes, all of us are a little bit surprised because life hits us in the mouth, knocks us down, and we immediately feel like we're going to be alone. And then these people, gifted by God, come around us. And they sit, and they listen, and they pray, and they give, and they serve. And we get better as a result. And we're often surprised. We feel a little bit like, I can't believe you guys did that for me. Well, that, that's actually a great picture of the heart of a good father caring for his children. So, well done, you guys. That's so encouraging to me. But when people are using their gifts, there is this great sense of reinforcement where we support each other, even through difficult times. And then resilience. Um, the scriptures talk a whole lot about endurance and perseverance. That is a telltale sign that God is at work, that God is present, that his power is being accessed. It's when you and I stay at it. And when God's people are using their gifts, that happens. Regardless of how many times they get knocked down, they just keep getting up. Keep going at it. Walking by faith. To summarize the work of ministry, I thought that redemptive influence gives us glimpses of undoing the ravages of sin's curse. It's just little glimpses. We live in a very broken world. But isn't it beautiful when we see the redemptive power of God changing someone's life. And along with that, we learn to anticipate in part what someday will be in full. Someday, God is going to make all things new. And there won't be any need for renewal and restoration and recovery. It will be done once and for all by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So the first thing we should expect to see is redemptive influence. Secondly, collaborative diversity. I get this from the statement, the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, as you read that phrase, as I read that phrase, my first thought is doctrine. I think, well, the, the church is supposed to be unified around doctrine. And that is absolutely true. 
But that's not all. Certainly, we need to come around the essentials, the essentials of the faith. Those are the things that we have to believe in order to be Christian. And if we depart from any of those, we've departed from Christianity. Like, it is a thing. It's a known thing. It's a factual thing. But in light of that, there, there's this great statement. I know it's familiar to you. I'm going I'm to say it anyway. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, what? Liberty. That just means that we can all kind of think differently about the non-essentials and still be unified, still be in a community of faith, still love each other well, still serve the mission of God. We can still do that and have some differences of opinions around the non-essentials. But then that, the last part of that statement is in all things, charity. It just means, guys, that we're kind to each other. That we make room for each other. You're going to have a little different personality and style and approach to some things. And I'm going to celebrate that, not because I think that's the way it ought to be done. But because you are walking in faithful obedience to the same Jesus that I'm following. And I'm going to celebrate that. So... In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Our differences and deficiencies require us to live interdependently. So God figured out a way to require us to rely on each other. And it's through our gifts. See, if, if you or I had all the gifts, we wouldn't need anybody. We just do our own thing. We just go solo. But God designed for us to live in dependence upon each other. There's no room for rivalry, for comparison, for competition. That has no place in the church. Interdependence. I love uh, a statement Matt Chandler said to his church, and I'm going to probably say this a lot more frequently around here. For us to be us, Fellowship Bible Church, we need you to be you. That's true of every single person in here. For us to be everything that God wants Fellowship Bible Church to be, it is absolutely essential for every one of you to be you. In all of your uniqueness, in all of the distinctives that are true of your life and your personality and your story, all that stuff, we need you to bring every bit of that to the table. And as that happens, this church will be all that God intends. Lastly, the third thing that we should see, if, if we are exercising our gifts properly, Christ-likeness. And this is a pretty sobering statement. Um, Paul says that should look like maturity to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's kind of overwhelming, isn't it? It's not, Paul just doesn't go, yeah, just kind of give it a shot. No, he's saying, you and I should grow up, and as we're growing, people should see us and think of the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's very humbling. 
It's kind of intimidating, but it's also kind of exciting to think that God could do that in you and in me. Chip Ingram calls that an extreme makeover, and that's probably an understatement. But gifts of the Spirit, properly employed, will produce the fruit of the Spirit. I think that's where we begin to get an idea of, well, what does that mean? What is the stature of the fullness of Christ? Well, certainly, let's start with the fruit of the Spirit. That's probably a good one. That is things in us that we can't manufacture, that we can't perform. These are things that only the Holy Spirit can produce in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When those things are making their way from in here to out there, it is an unmistakable testimony to the Spirit of God at work in our lives. And the way that process happens is by each of us using our gifts with and for each other. It's God's design. God drew up the plans. And he gave us instructions to live that out. Uh, I want to finish by talking about, um, it's, it's a beautiful picture in Scripture. It's treasure in jars of clay. And what prompted this for me was this idea of how do I know the difference between natural abilities and spiritual gifts? I think that's a fair question for all of us to ask. And I don't know that that is, there's not just like this one definitive answer that kind of settles that for all times. Kenneth Boa says this, spiritual gifts are not the same as natural talents. Unlike the natural abilities which everyone has from birth, spiritual gifts belong exclusively to believers in Christ. We've covered that. In some cases, the gifts of the Spirit coincide with natural endowments. But they transcend these natural abilities by adding supernatural quality. Now, you may hear that and nod and go, oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. But what does that look like? I, I thought of a moment in Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of Luke that might give us a picture um, it's that moment in Luke 5 when Jesus is calling his first disciples. He's standing on the shore. The guys have been fishing. Jesus asks to sit on Peter's boat so that he can teach. There's a great crowd gathered there. And uh, Jesus is doing some, some teaching. And I guess you can kind of imagine the guys in the background. They're cleaning up their nets and maybe ordering the stuff in their boats and probably hearing a little bit of what he has to say. But then there is this moment in verse 4. It says, When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now here's what we need to understand. Jesus is obviously taking the initiative. We know because of who he is that he intends to display his spiritual presence and his spiritual power. He's wanting to let these guys see him for who he really is. He commands Peter to do something which Peter already knows how to do. He has great experience. He's a fisherman, right? So he tells him to do something. 
But, but he's telling Peter to do something that Peter instinctively knows is wrong. Like, you don't fish at, in the day. And I think I read somewhere that you don't necessarily go out into the deep in the day. And he's aware, Peter's aware, he's like, I'm a pro. I've been fishing all night. By the way, the best time to fish. And I got nothing. So he's reluctant. He's resistant. But it goes on to say, at your word, Jesus, I'll let down the nets. So let's just kind of transport this into, okay, Lord, I'm going to assume you've given me a gift. I don't even necessarily know exactly what it is. You give me all kinds of commands about how to treat my brothers and sisters in Christ. So when I see a need, I'm just going to do what you tell me to do in your word. I'm just going to say yes. I'm going to serve. Here's what happened to these guys. When they just simply put their nets in the water, the fish came flying into their boat. They were all over the place. So much so that the boats were actually beginning to sink. Now, tell me this. Do you think that any of those fishermen were thinking, wow, I mean, we really nailed it today. <laughs> right? No, they are absolutely blown away. Now, I promise you, they're pulling those fish in as fast as they can. They're like, man, this could feed us for the next uh, you know, year. But none of those guys are thinking about what great fishermen they are. They're all going, that guy right there, he's unlike anything we've ever seen. He gave this gift to us. Peter goes so far as to fall down at the feet of Jesus and says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He thinks nothing of his obedience, only the kindness of God. To actually be present and at work in his life. I think that's a little bit of a glimpse of what it might be like if we use our gifts. There might even be a little bit of reluctance as we look at our human limitations. But we say yes. Okay, Lord, I'm uncomfortable. This is a stretch for me, but I'm just going to serve. And somehow in the midst of that obedience, God steps in in the power of the Holy Spirit and does something that you and I can't take credit for. Because we know, we know that we know that we know that only God could do that. And we worship Him. The fruit of our gifts magnify the giver. So what should we see? Redemptive influence collaborative diversity, Christ-likeness, all things that only God can produce. Big picture, we should see the body of Christ building itself up in love. That's the answer. That, that will always be the answer to the church exercising its gifts. So I want to go back to the big question that I gave you at the very beginning during our so what. And I want, I want us to begin asking this today, and then let's just keep asking this over and over and over and over again. Here it is. How am I building maturity, my own and that of others, by serving my church 
in the power of the Holy Spirit according to my unique design? Prayerfully consider that question this morning. And then let's just keep asking that as we make our way through this year. And let's see what God does with his church. All right, take a moment and then I'll close us in prayer. Father God, we, uh, we want to praise you this morning because you are the good gift giver. And there's so much about that that is honestly uh, confusing and faith-stretching. But uh, Father, this morning we want to, if we've never said it before, we want to just say thank you for the gifts that you've given us. Lord, help us to see what they are and use them properly to build up your bride, the church. And Lord, we know that as we do that, you will reach the world through this church, beginning with Murfreesboro and moving on out from there. So thank you, Father. We love you. We thank you for loving us. Thank you for doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. We praise you in Jesus' name.